Top athletes duke it out to outperform their opponents, usually only winning by a slim margin. That margin is what matters, and part of having a competitive edge means having high-value information on what your competitors are doing. Crayon offers competitive intelligence and product marketing to its customers, and Erica Jenkins, their chief product officer, shares that doing this well requires great communication. If I could give advice to anybody who's trying to break into product and it's something new, don't be scared of it, but you got to be hungry. You got to teach yourself a little bit. You've got to be curious. If you don't know the answer, don't be ashamed to ask questions. I have engineering counterparts that I share information with them. They share information back. And truly, like product success comes down to being a rock solid, transparent communicator. Different stakeholders have to hear different things. You need to tell it slightly different ways so that they can understand it. If they're not technical, or if they are technical, they need to know enough of the details without getting worried and knowing every reason and rationale of how it got built. It's all just about kind of context and communication, and like that's the secret to product success for me. On this episode of IT Visionaries, it's all about knowing what your competitors don't know. Erica talks about how Crayon is empowering sales teams and beyond with the data that they need to make strategic moves. Her path to product leadership started as a real estate broker looking for opportunities to expand her marketing funnel, and that background gives her a great depth of business and client-side knowledge. Enjoy this episode. Eric and I go back. We were at XBeyond together. She was the first person that gave me a chance at XBeyond when I was training ERP systems. And I met her in our old boss, Peter Heffering, in the subleased office of a mortgage lender. And they told me they were starting a social media management software. And I remember Erica asking me, what do you know about social media? I said, I know nothing, but, <laughs> but I could learn it. And Erica today is now the chief product officer at Crayon. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yes, that's all the way back to the basement days. We had no money and we were sub... Well, actually, let's take that back. Peter had money, but he chose not to spend it on rent. (laughs) (laughs) We were bootstrapped from day one, and that's how we took it all the way to acquisition. So it was a good ride. And all I remember is Surfer Dude came in and said, no social media. And I said, what are we doing? How is this going to (laughs) work? (laughs) You're like, well, do you like social media? And I was like, not really. No, People irritate me. I do believe it was your answer. (laughs) It's okay. Here we are. You know, fast forward a bunch of years. It's been a decade. It's been over just slightly over a decade, not to age ourselves, but that was 2011. It's now 2022. You know, before we dive into our past, which is going to be, I think, a lot of fun, give our audience an idea. What is Crayon today? All right. So Crayon is not uh, like the thing you color with in my world. So crayon.co, if you want to check the website out, we do competitive intelligence and product marketing. And it's really getting into what are your key competitors doing on their website changes, positioning changes, not like social media monitoring of what people are saying about your competitors, but really what's the competitor's voice? How do you create battle cards so that your sales teams can win against those. Those get embedded, big believer in meeting sales folks where they're at. Salesforce is where they live, on their mobile devices where they live. If it's product marketing and positioning, competitive goes into HR, right? So let's say one of your competitors starts to hire somewhere else or they're, they're moving into a London office and they've never done that before. 
Your HR team needs to know that because that's going to impact how you hire. Um, big one right now is four-day work weeks in the tech world. We do a lot of B2B tech customers. And if somebody wants a four-day work week, guess what? They're going to start poaching your employees potentially, or that's going to impact your candidate pool. So competitive intelligence, isn't. it's not just like, hey, what's a competitor doing? What do they sell? It's really surfacing like the unknown things to the right stakeholders so that they can be more effective at their job. So if they started putting out a lot of job requisitions in big data or big query, and you just knew that they're, they're building some type of ML type product or they need that type of expertise, that's the kind of thing that you're also looking at, I'm assuming? We're looking at job postings. We're looking at earnings reports. We're looking at a little bit of social media. We're looking at website changes, like major website changes, not just there's a new hero image on the homepage. We're looking at new pricing and positioning really surfacing all of that up. And then when you get into competitive, there's like tier one, like these are the folks that I know go head to head on opportunities every single day. There's the, yeah, we hear about them, but we don't really compete too much directly. And then there's the ones that we just kind of want to watch and monitor. And then the cool thing that we've been doing lately is really looking at win-loss analysis and who are you competing against as you move down the funnel are your sales folks using assets? Are your customer success team using assets that, that the CI team is putting together to help you retain the customer or win the deal? And so looking at the attribution back to competitive intelligence that goes into the bottom line. So it really kind of touches across the business. It's not just, again, what are my competitors doing? It's how do I take that information and make my business more effective? So Obviously, a lot of the guests that we have on IT Visionaries, they represent either on the technical side, the internal side, the outward side. They all work, most of them, at tech companies. So they're all in this game, which, you know, whether they want to admit it, this game is constant competition, at minimum for recruiting, certainly for sales, even though they don't, they might not think that their role is sales. Like we all know everyone in a company has to sell, build a product that can be purchased. When you think of yourself as a product officer overseeing this toolkit, what are your like principles that you're trying to build this with? Like, what do you think about? I know everyone says user experience, of course, but that's such a vague term. I'd love to hear the specifics because I think you you dive into a lot of these things a little bit better where it's like, it's beyond user experience. It's like, what are some like the things you're trying to, I guess, incorporate to make this useful? I think you really have to understand the problems that exist. Like don't make up a problem and then try to build a software that somebody doesn't see any value for. Like, how do you save somebody time every single day? Like, is there back to that repeatable process, right? Like, what are they doing? What are people saying about them? You could go manually look for that every single day, but the human element can't do that at scale. So there's time to value, there's repeatable things. So like consistency of reporting, right? So I'm constantly looking at what competitors are doing week over week, month over month. I know that Salesforce, as an example, has Dreamforce every single year. What happened last year versus this year? There is things such as new social media posts that are being put out there. That generally is the brand trying to launch something new to the market. So there's lots that go into that a person couldn't ever go collect all of that information. If you get into a really large enterprise, it gets even more complicated. Products and divisions of North America are different than EMEA. If you want to look at sometimes that you've got a global footprint and you want to know what's happening across the world, that is humanly impossible to collect. So start with a problem and then slowly work your way towards solving that problem. And then what will happen is you solve a problem and then they're gonna have two more problems that they didn't realize. 
And then you need to go and stitch the workflow so you solve those problems. So put yourself in the users in the business seat first, not in the technology seat. And that's where I think every single day, what's if it were me and my job is on the line, can I do my job effectively? And can I make my boss look like a rock star? And can I not kill myself trying to get there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And through observation, sometimes you can find out that these things that the people say they want, they actually don't actually do. And so you can be like, eh, that's not really part of what you actually do. So I know no matter how good I make this feature, you're probably not going to start doing that. You know, I think back to our time together at X Beyond, building that company up. And I remember the litany of requests, right? Every company came in with a request list that was an unbelievable feature set, you know, like, oh, we need to build, you know, from anything you could think of, they thought of it. Now, Crayon's in the same position and you've done this now at Meltwater, you've done this now, you're doing it now at Crayon. You're certainly getting and fielding requests all the time. And we ask modern people product, how do you evaluate what's actually important and worth doing and what is something that maybe has to be tabled or maybe thought about in a different way? Meaning the customer's requesting you to you know, build something, but you have to think about the actual problem. You realize like they actually want you to build something else. How do you go about evaluating those things? What's your framework? Because of course, you got to get close to the customer. You got to understand the problem, but you're hearing hundreds of problems, hundreds of requests. You can only make I don't know, a handful. So how do you go about those evaluations? Well, in the old world, back in social media days, you were almost tied to the social media sites themselves because some new way to publish to Facebook, some new thing on YouTube, some new thing on Twitter. The API had it. The API didn't have it. You'd have to explain to the customer. I know you can go to Instagram and do this, but you can't actually publish from our software because Instagram wouldn't let us back in the day. So really different thinking then than it is thinking now with correct. We were very API dependent, that's true. Since we supported other products, we could only build with API supported. Exactly. So new world, and especially in competitive intelligence, it's an emerging space. It's not as well matured as social management or online monitoring, social listening. Uh, You know, the past kind of dozen plus years I spent in that world. So I have to really get into learning just competitive intelligence, product marketing processes. It's it's how does each customer run their business and then find the 80%. So what's the 80% workflow that will matter to most instead of chasing that 20% that's different? So I'm looking for the biggest value. I'm also looking for what are best practices because competitive intelligence is a relatively newer role. It could sit with like corporate strategy. It could sit with product marketing. It could sit with sales. It's a little bit different with each company. So I do a ton of customer interviews, not talking about software, but talking about day in the life. What is the expectations? Which stakeholders are you supposed to give deliverables to? What are they looking for? Do they want it in real time? Do they want like a monthly report? So I'm really digging into like interviews right now, learning kind of this new world. It carries over from the old world, but it's different, obviously. And then I'm a huge fan, give a product board plug, that product board from a prioritization, getting feedback, I can push gong information, I can take emails, I can take Slack questions, I can put customer interviews and notes. And then we score every single thing against the product areas that we're looking to build out. And that tells us, is the customer love bucket going to move? Are they going to love us more? Are we going to make their jobs easier? 
Then I have to balance that with leadership. What is leadership? What do we want to look at this new emerging space? Competitive intelligence. You know, what is Gartner saying? What is Forrester saying? What are ways we differentiate? What are integrations that matter, right? Like SEMrush, is that something that would be really helpful for competitive intelligence? I have no idea. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> it's one that we're researching right now, looking into, you know, when people keyword search for your competitors um, and they're doing Google searches and what are ad buys being used, that kind of tells you what people's behaviors are and how they're finding your competitors and then maybe how you can attract them to your business. So it's much more focused on day in the life and then translating that into a solution that helps versus thinking about you know what the customer specifically is asking you to build. They don't always know what they need built. I have to listen to their problem and translate that into some way to solve the problem. We see it time and time again with, it doesn't matter where you are inside of the tech organization, whether you're at leadership or you're an individual developer, it is held true since the beginning of time. People are actually terrible judges of what they want, what they need and what they do. For example, you ask someone, you know, well, how often do you use this product? You know, they'll tell you an answer that's wrong. How often do you need this? They'll tell you something that's wrong. If you remember when we were working together, clients would ask for stuff and I would bust their chops a little bit. Well, what critical decisions are you going to make with this information? They're like, I just need it. I'm like, it doesn't sound like you do. <laughs> <laughs> the critical point of that is you have to put data behind every single thing you built. So a great example, customer says, I need more emails. Okay, do you really? Because your workforce is actually spending time in Slack these days or spending time in Teams. So if we measure, we give full capabilities that say you can send it to email, you can set up like, you know, a daily digest kind of concept, a newsletter, you can push things to Slack, you can send it into Salesforce, like where, where's the distribution? And if I can actually come back to a customer and says, oh, you're asking me for more email capabilities, but in reality, your consumption or your other users who are collecting information you're sending to them, it's in Slack. Why am I going to push them to email? They don't want to they don't want to do their job in email. They want to do their job in Slack. So using data to try to inform why we're doing things is paramount to any product success, not just mine. So I think it's it's not just, oh, it looks really sexy. It needs to be usable, but it also needs to be measured. <laughs> so you're not using the uh, red highlight, yellow highlight, green highlight methodology of stack ranking feature requests? The old days of Word docs and Google docs and spreadsheets. No, 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 no. And that's the other thing too, with a bigger company, whether you're a startup or, you know, when I came from Meltwater, we had over 30,000 customers. If you make a roadmap commitment, that's not a guarantee you're going to do hundred percent what's on it. You have to directionally and strategically have a path that you're headed towards and you can't just change it back. Like the old startup days when there was like three of us in the basement, We'd sit in a room, what, once a week, every other week, and we'd say, we should go do that. Wait, we said last week we were going to do this. Flip them, move them. We would have the data of one, really. Like, you know what I mean? We would have a handful of customers. One person asked for it. No one else asked for it. Like, oh, this is what we should make. And I used to always say, you know, one is not a pattern. It's like, but, you know, it was true. Like, we had to make hunches. We had to make some type of guess. Like, we had to improve the product. So that's how we did it. When Eric and I worked together in product, this was her first product role. It was my second job in tech, but it was your first job in tech. Our CEO had done tech before. We were in Greenfield. like We were going after an industry that didn't exist. 
we were building along with the industry in its entirety. So there was a lot of hunches I would say we had to make or guesses we had to make. We only had a handful of customers. We eventually got acquired by a company called Sysmos. And then we adopted over a thousand customers. You got acquired again, then you adopted 30,000 customers. So along the ways, you've had to learn this triage process almost like what is priority because there's too much noise at 30,000 customers. There's too much noise. Like there's no way you can listen to everybody. It's not possible. Uh, no, uh, you would never sleep if that was the case. <laughs> uh, you also have like, through that whole journey has actually been seven migrations or sunsets as well. So when you're going through that path or that kind of growth, even though it wasn't all naturally on the same platform for me, I still had the, the legacy to the 2.0 version, if we talk back in 1.0 to 2.0 type concept, migrating customers over, don't rebuild things that you knew you built poorly the first time. So do it better the second time. But then you always get the list of, hey, there's this thing. And I still, I'll, I'll use an old system. And I love it. I need it. I need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell them. <laughs> Tell them people. It's called Tweet Life that we used to have in in the old system that I did not rebuild over into some of the new systems. I had like three customers who hated me because I didn't do the one thing. But again, back to the data, if I went and looked, nobody ever used that screen anyways. It was like three out of 1,200. Three out of 1,200. Exactly. So that goes back to like, don't do it just because you had it. Do it because it's right. Or if you're going to redo it, do it so that it goes to the 1,200, not just to the three. Yes, to your point, when you have uh, three customers, you can talk to them all the time, every day. You're listening. You're you're hanging on every dollar that they pay you. When you get to 100 customers, you got to start looking again for that 80%. What are 80% of them going to benefit from? And do not get tied to that one mega customer, which we made that mistake back in the day. I'm not going to name names. Become a slave to everything they're asking of you and they expect you to, you know, jump. And then if they churn and leave you, you're in a lurch because you build a whole bunch for a one-off instead of building a product for many. So it's really got to look at the masses, what's going to move the needle for most, not what's going to move the needle for a few. Accepting that big customer that's going to pay you more to build custom features is like, it is truly shaking the devil's hand. Yes, the money fills the coffers, but like your product roadmap is no longer yours. And I remember those days of like, oh my gosh, we're building things that nobody uses. Right. Like it's, it's getting crazy. <laughs> I'd love for audience to get to know you a little better since you and I go back because you were the leading product at a publicly traded company, Meltwater's public traded stock exchange company, over a billion dollar valuation. You then go on to Crayons. You've done it now three times. But before you did this, you were a real estate agent and not to knock real estate agents, but let's face it, there's not really a lot of comparable skills there. So you're in real estate. How did you even get into software to begin with? Way back in the day, I actually started an online real estate firm. I was a believer. This is like early 2000s that you should not have a brick and mortar office. Like it was back when just early realtor.com was coming online. 2000, 2001. And uh, that was also starting to come into when YouTube was emerging. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. Blogs, forums. Those did exist, but totally fell into online marketing because of my daughter. So I was pregnant and I joined a mom's forum site to ask questions. And I actually created my tag name as Raleigh Realtor Mama. And people started asking me real estate questions and I would just answer them. I wasn't even talking about real estate. Like I was trying to figure out I'm having a baby, like what's happening? Like, what am I supposed to expect here? 
And within a year, I sold, I sold over $100,000 just off the of leads by having conversations on that forum site. So it was a total fluke. And I realized if you just built relationships with people, you would be able to ultimately turn leads out of it. So that turned into a bigger problem where I had Foreclosure Friday YouTube videos. I had a big database of investors I worked with. Like I was working the marketing funnel, hardcore, all through online. And uh, realized that like I'm spending 30 hours a week on online marketing, but it's turning into a ton of cash. If there could be an automated way, put content out there, bring it back so I can comment to people and I don't have to go to all these sites. There's something behind that. And that's when Peter and I had breakfast and I said, listen, if we could build a software that would like aggregate this information and some listening might remember a, a tool called Ping FM, I used to call it the spam engine. You could like load up a whole bunch of content and it would just blast it everywhere. This is back like 2006, 2007. And I said, if you could just pull all the comments back, I'd pay money because that would save me a ton of time. That was on a Friday. Peter had never used social media at that point in time. By Monday, he called because he had built a CRM system that he sold for a, a, a large amount of money. It was in excess of $90 million. He did well. <laughs> uh, and uh, he said, I think we can build this for social media. He did tell me he, he asked one more person, which was uh, someone who he knew that owned a lot of franchise operations and said, are you interested in Facebook? The person said, yes. Would you want to know what every restaurant was saying? That person said yes. And he's like, mm, Eric is right. People want this. It is. And then we went and we built it and we literally started in the basement and then we met you. But funny story. I mean, we're going way, way back, but Applebee's, one of the franchises was our first beta customer. I remember sitting New Year's Eve and we had built 300 Facebook pages by hand because there was no process back then. There was no like parent child, no business manager. None of that existed. We hand built all of these. We were the kings and queens of do unscalable things that they talk about in the VC world. We're like, it's like, how do we get 300 pages? The company's never going to do it. Peter's like, we're going to build them ourselves. We're like, what? This is stupid. We're like, we're doing it. We're locking ourselves in a room. We're going to do it. We're doing it. We're doing it. And we built 300 pages. It was the very early infancy of the software, of Exbion software. I remember at like 4.15 in the afternoon, typing something, hitting a button, starting a timer, and it took 12 seconds for us to publish to 300 Facebook pages. From there we launched. And then at, by the time we sold Xbeon, I think we were well over 20,000 Facebook pages. We had nine social media channels. We had Weibo, WeChat, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, like LinkedIn, like the list went on and on and on. So for anyone who's, who anyone who's aware of social media management software platforms, there's obviously a lot of companies now. We... We're in the mix with all of them. Hootsuite, Sprinkler. Buddy Media. Buddy Media got acquired by Salesforce. There were a lot of companies attacking it from a different way. When we first got started, you, of course, were in the account side. You were you know, managing accounts, making sure they got what they wanted and all this other stuff. So for everyone out there building software in, or on a Skunk Works team inside of a big company building a project, there comes a moment when you realize you need a product person. And we didn't have one at the time. It was just like, we're stressed to the max. Developers are missing things. We have feature requests coming in. You, you and me, Erica, we're like, we have all these people that want stuff. They got bugs, they got features, they got suggestions. And our CTO was like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be working on. Like who's in charge of the product? And our CEO was like, I'm in charge of the product. And he literally was using, we, we joke about just to bring everyone up to date, that Word doc, like that Word doc was the Bible. And, and people, it was like, it's in the Word doc. Like, why can't you, why can't you do it? 
There was no Google Doc at this point. It was like on his laptop and he would email it to you. So you had better check the, the latest and greatest email. Now, let's get something straight here. There was Google Docs. He refused to use it. Valid. We were a G Suite team. He was like, I'm not using this. I'm not using this. (laughs) But I want everyone to understand what we were dealing with at the time. His feature request would be like, translate it. Translation. Like that was the feature request. Translation. The developers were like, what am I supposed to do with this? It's literally one word. Translation. Translate what? Because you got to translate it, man. You got... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do I translate it before it publishes out? Do I translate a comment that we got? Like, what do you mean? There was a lot to it. Obviously, it's nothing but fun memories now. Like, all the bad stuff has turned into fun stuff. But, like, when you go back and think, what made you say, I'm going to be the steward of this? I'm trying to remember. I think we were probably about, honestly, what, like 35 people, 35 headcount, couple million revenue at that point? Probably in that range. Yeah. And we had been. You know, we kind of bootstrapped the roadmap. We all collectively got into a room. We we used the Word doc, moved things around on the slide projector at that point in time. Oh, yeah, the slide projector. Yeah, the slide projector. Albert's right. I've done every job except coding. And some of, you know, old folks listening to this will, will laugh that know me. That's really true. I did everything from training to onboarding to customer success to sales. Pitched Mary Kay. Still my, one of my proudest moments there on that deal. This is where I learned how to read APIs because we would inevitably, you and me would be like, we want this built. Someone would say it's not possible. And we'd go back and be like, I don't think you're right. Like we would go look it up. Like it says right here, it can do it. Exactly. <laughs> says all you need to do is update the token. We just need the other scope on the Facebook app and we can do that. You're wrong. And they'd go, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we, well, we learned, we learned very quickly that if it wasn't coming from our CTO, the developers weren't actually looking at the documentation. So like, that's how we became like <laughs> sleuths on the documentation. Little ninjas figuring it all out. Oh gosh, so many memories. But regardless, how, how it came about is I knew the customer. I knew the business acumen. I knew the product suite because I'd been there from day one. I was the one who came up with kind of the problem that we needed to figure out how to solve. And uh, we all sat into a room. We had talked about hiring from the outside and everybody at the table and the executive team at the time just kind of looked at me and said, you're it. I don't recall that. I remember you nominating yourself. No, I did not volunteer. No, I, I mean, I was in on it once I figured it out. I thought, well, I've gotten enough super kudos to every person I've worked with in my career. Cause we make the joke here. Like I don't come from a tech background. I don't have a computer science degree. It wasn't the world I lived in, but I am very much a learner by doing those Ninja API documentations, learning how to read it, understanding what it means. I'm technical. Like I brought up Kafka cues the other day and one of my new developers was like, I was trying to explain it, but you already know what it is. Like I'm dangerous, but I can't code. So that was sort of the point I was at there that I was technical enough, but it was really about back to what we were talking about earlier. I understood the business problems. I knew Facebook inside and out. I knew Instagram inside and out, like the back end of them. I remember doing trainings talking about like the difference between a profile versus a group versus a Facebook page, you know, talking about dark posts on ads manager versus a boosted post. Like I could speak the speak for layman's terms and then I could bring it right back into something really technical. And and yes, I was I was nominated and thrown a couple other names around. Jerry Fain, who was head of CS. Uh, customer success for us and client services. He'd been maybe a couple months in the job and they said, oh, Jerry's got customers. So you're, you're going to go do product now. <laughs> Jerry's still doing it at Meltwater. He had a great background. He was from Bronto. He helped scale up Bronto. He helped scale up Bullhorn. 
he was really great. Him leading product, he was just like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I'm, but I'm super thankful. Like I have been great mentors taught. It's been, you know, if I could give advice to anybody who's trying to break into product and it's something new, don't be scared of it, but you got to be hungry. You got to teach yourself a little bit. You've got to be curious. If you don't know the answer, don't be ashamed to ask questions. I have engineering counterparts that I share information with them. They share information back. And truly like product success comes down to being a rock solid, transparent communicator. Different stakeholders have to hear different things. You need to tell it slightly different ways so that they can understand it. If they're not technical or if they are technical, they need to know enough of the details without getting worried and knowing every reason and rationale of how it got built. Like it's all just about kind of context and communication. And like, that's the secret to product success for me. There's a lot of human emotion, I think, that goes into product because you are dealing with so many people, right? Because I don't think people on the technical side, if you if you were up for a product-centric role, product lead role, if you're on customer success, if you're in actual development, internal or external projects, if you get pulled in the product, the one thing that I don't think you recognize is so many pulls, right? You have customer pulls. So your CS teams, that rep, they're like represent your customer, right? They're pulling on you. You got the sales guys that are in gals that are trying to close deals, big enterprise deals. They're going to pull on you hard because they can't close the deal. They'll always say, do we not want this deal? Like they'll, they'll always say like the deal hinges on a feature, right? And that's how it's going to be escalated. You know that's true. They all we can't we can't do without it. We can't do it. We can't do without it. Can we put this in a contract? Can we can this be done by you know February 15th? I'm like, no, it's not even in plans right now. Like we can talk about it. I'd like to learn more why this is important. But no, you're not I'm not I'm not gonna commit to a deal just based upon this one checkbox. Like, no, sorry. We can talk about it. Don't guarantee it. We have customer success pulling on you. We have the actual customers pulling on you, you have sales teams pulling on you. You probably have engineering pulling on you because they'll say like, hey, it's not possible or it can't be done or we we messed up or we made a mistake or we misforecasted. There's a hundred, there's literally millions of things that can go wrong in the process that might delay a roadmap. And then of course you have leadership pulling on you too. Like, Eric, what's going on? Like, how come we don't have these things? Like, I thought you said your roadmap looked like this. So it really is like, you're like a moderator. Like you're mo- not only do you have to be technical smart, you have to have product vision. You have to have understand some technical, but you really are managing these five groups that are kind of like pulling on you in different ways. It's very rare, in my opinion, that I've seen everyone pull the same direction. It just doesn't happen, really. No, it never. I've never seen it happen. <laughs> <laughs> right? Where the sales guys are like, this is the feature. And the customer success team's like, that's it. <laughs> right? And engineering's like, that's exactly what we wanted to make, man. In fact, I already started it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I think that's good because it does, it either validates and gives you, you know, kind of hey, a good pat on the back, we're doing the right things, we're making different stakeholder groups happy. Or, you know, you have to be able to say no or not right now, and here's why, and then prioritize. We're gonna help go solve this problem first. Like, you have to look through kind of the the sunshine benefits of doing any type of work, if it's making sales happy, making support happy, making CS happy, and you just gotta balance, because you can't do everything. I remember this one feature, you and me were arguing for and no one wanted to do it. But do you remember when like our password resets didn't really work and like the engineering team didn't want to fix it? Like, so every password reset had to come through an AM and the AM had to reset the password. 
Oh God. I mean, we're going back way, way, definitely 10 years. Yeah. 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 But they were like, it's not like that doesn't sell. That doesn't like we would hear like that doesn't sell. Like it doesn't matter. It causes all the problems. (laughs) Nobody can log in unless they call me and it's Saturday afternoon and I got my kids doing whatever. That's a whole nother kind of rat hole. We could spend another hour on is security. When you're in startup bootstrap land, security for us was like an afterthought. These days, security needs to be at the forefront of everything you think about. There's also better toolkits you can integrate now, right? So that, that you can rely on these other toolkits. I know back in our day, everything was like our engineers like, well, we'll just build it. It's like, we're, we're literally building all the other companies' products too, in addition to our product. Like, let's just integrate some tools. I remember that, that frustration. When you think to your role today, like this is, a, in my opinion, a pretty cool seat that you've been transparent about, right? Going from in a decade, just how much has changed in the product role. And there's now tools that are coming out specifically to support people such as yourself. What would you say are some like, you can't live without if you're going to manage products? Like, what are some of the things that you rely on and say, hey, I got, I got to have this? You mentioned your product board before, but I didn't know if there's any other toolkits that you like say, hey, this helps me stay organized. This helps me evaluate. This helps me whatever it is. What are some of the things that you just, you think that a product manager should invest or check out? There's tool sets out there. You know, I can name a few names of companies that I think do things well. They also do things fairly kind of similar often, but product board for first and foremost, when it comes to collecting feedback, when it comes to roadmap visibility, when it comes to kind of release readiness, I think it's critical in planning because I bring everybody together once a month. So I have my product manager, my engineering manager, my UX lead, my support. I bring product marketing and I bring CS. Everybody CS and product marketing listen, but it helps them know what's up and coming in the future that they need to prep for, whether it's changing onboarding, whether it's marketing materials that need to get pulled together, help docs. Like that is my keep everybody on the same train of thought tool. When it comes to like customer usage, I think you should definitely have, whether it's an app cues or a walk me, some type of guided tutorials within your product that helps drive adoption. That's a big one. You also need to have things where you're measuring, you know, usage, whether it's a heap or a pendo, you're able to actually look for user patterns. That's back to that data driven. You could build an entire management system, kind of an action log, whatever you'd like to be able to figure out what people are doing. There's tools that do that. License the tools that do that. They do it well. They'll, they'll put all that information together for you. This is bringing me back. I remember when we got the demo of Pendo and Tatango and like our CTO was like, we should just build that. I'm like, why are we, <laughs> we, keep, we keep building things that aren't our core products. We built a Bitly, if you recall, that was your baby. That's right. Link tracking, link shortening, click, click tracking, but you know, appending UDMs to understand when it came from Twitter versus Facebook. Like, why did we build that? Because we did. I don't know. Hey, the road to success is filled with mistakes, though. Everyone knows that, too, right? right? Like, and there's no company that's never had a miss or something, like, on their way to building the success. You know, this is something that I'd love to hear from you as well. It's like, so you, you mentioned before there's a lot of companies, a lot of products that help support the product organization. Uh, you know, curious for you, what's missing? What would you like to have, like, you haven't seen yet? Like, what is something that if someone could make this for you, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this, this is helping me out? I mean, the tableaus, like, the BI tools of the world, like, they're so static, if there was some type of a, an immersive BI layer that I could really like layer on top of my product, like I don't want to build a whole BI tool. I've done it before. We've done it. 
it's so much that goes into that, but there's huge value into like flexible reporting, flex, but it needs to be immersive, like interactive. I can understand context versus most of those tools today are just very static. That to me from making my product suite stronger would be a really nice to have. Making my life easier from like the seat that I sit in. I mean, pro- product board has been a game changer for me. I've, you know, two years, I have pointed numerous amounts of people over to them. So that, that to me has solved a lot of problems for what I need. Gong's probably one of the upcomers. Gong's becoming really helpful. You get a lot of customer real-time feedback without actually having to talk to them. So that's been one, but that's already solved. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't, I've never heard of using Gong on the customer side. I know about it on the sales side, of course, but that's pretty cool that you're using it to say like, Hey, just tell me what you think. I know it parses the text and, analyzes. That's pretty cool. I never thought of it that way. Uh, you, what you really need is um, observation tools, I think. I always think about this when it comes to product because we talked about from before is people are so bad at reporting what they actually do. It's like you need singular observation of like across tech stacks. Because like, of course, a, a pendo can measure what I'm doing in the toolkit. But it's like, what do I actually do on the job? You probably need a camera and a shadow, but it's like, Oh, this is actually what you need. Like if you could see why they were getting this information, probably building this PowerPoint and going across the door to talk to somebody and you could see why it would probably help you answer some questions. But yeah, as we know, very few people can actually recognize what they're actually doing. That's probably, I think the ultimate dream for a product manager is like to understand what a person does with information outside of that tool. That's probably the the big next step, like the integration of tools. And anyways, that's what I always think about. I'm not in product, but that's why I think that. <laughs> no, and I guess maybe that's where I go and lean on the gong scenario for me day to day. You know, I can go in there and keyword search people asking for export to PowerPoint. Okay, well, why? What are you trying to do? And I can hear the conversation context or it gives me like, there's been seven hits in the past two weeks of people asking for that functionality. Let me go talk and interview those seven customers and find out, is it because you want it to be able to share it up to your CMO? Is it because you want it to like print and look at on your desk for some reason? Is it you want to send it to somebody else? You don't want them to log in to a tool? You know, why? Why does that matter? Because that PowerPoint becomes obsolete very quickly. So do you want something that is just static in time? So that's just, a, it's a good way for me to drill into research without having to go ask customer success or try to figure out the person that I know that I talked to last, you know, hit them up again for their time. It takes, it takes time away from them. I, I should be smart enough to figure out mostly what we should be building and then just validating it, not asking them to tell me what we should be building. Erica, it was awesome having you on the show. It was awesome kind of walking back in our history together, talking about how we built XBeyond. Of course, hearing your journey as a product leader, I left well before you got to Meltwater, but uh, you know, it's been really cool seeing your career in Ascension. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Erica, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? I'm ready. All right. You started in real estate. Do you still sell homes? No. Officially done. I buy them. You buy them. (laughs) I'm on number 24. So I just keep collecting them. Oh, so you're, you're like a mini landlord. Well, I have a few that I, yes, but not most of them I buy, sell, flip, things like that. That's hard these days. All right. So yeah. I knew you were involved in real estate somehow. Well, how, what do you mean you don't, you don't sell them? 
Of course you sell them. If you're flipping them, you're selling them. Well, but I mean, actually, no, I, I just take a referral fee. I have somebody that that's their core competency. They do that all day long. You know, you also have a love of country music, I believe. Who are your favorite artists right now? Mm, I'm always down for Stapleton, Jamie Johnson. And then I like to go a little old school. I like some Bonnie Ray and some Alison Krauss. So I like harmonies, a little bluegrass. That's kind of what I'm into. That's usually on the in the kitchen when I'm cooking dinner. There you go. And when you're not thinking about product, what do you like to do for fun? Go back to the boat that I bought recently. So I'm trying to get on the water as much as I can. <laughs> hey, listen, it's about to warm up. You're about to be back on that boat in no time. Erica, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. It was awesome sharing your story, understanding your thoughts and philosophies on product. Thanks for being vulnerable and opening up and saying like, hey, these are some things we made some boo-boos on. And also thanks for the recommendations. I think some of our people that are listening here that are going down a journey of product will take your recommendations and surely take a look at some of these products to see if they can uh, help them out. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 